Good morning, Evanston Bible Fellowship. Some of you may have been here last week, and you know that I will be uh, filling the pulpit for a few weeks with you. And it is my honor and privilege to be here this, with you this morning. My name is Kerwin Rodriguez. I am a faculty member at Moody Bible Institute, also a member of another evangelical free church, Good News Bible Church. And it is a great joy for me to be here. I'm here with my wife, Meredith. My son is downstairs with the children, and my, uh, my uh, father and mother-in-law, Joy and Rich. And we are just thrilled to be here with you. Uh, you all are very welcoming. And uh, it, it was just a joy, and so we're here again. Uh, let's open up in a word of prayer before we begin preaching this morning and hearing from God. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you are ministering to us even now. Father, I pray that you would speak to us again. Lord, use me as your servant. Allow me to bring you glory, to be your vessel, your mouthpiece, so that you might speak a word to each of us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified, that we would see you, that we would behold you and hear from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister to us now. Convict us where there needs to be conviction Comfort us where we need to be comforted, and seal for us this word that you, O God, have for us. We thank you and we love you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were spending some time with some friends, and we were eating dinner, and somehow the conversation came around to Stories about when we had been cut off in traffic. Now, if you live in Chicago or the Chicagoland area, if you've driven a car, you probably have your own story to share too. And so we were there sharing these stories, and each one is taking their own turn. And then finally, my friend Aaron probably had the best one. He started telling us about this time when he was working in the South Loop, and he was driving into work. Now, when Aaron started telling the story, we had some anticipations because typically Aaron is the one who is the, the, the perpetrator in these cut-off stories. But he claims he was driving innocently, staying in his lane, going the speed limit. And so he's driving into work, and he looks in his rearview mirror, and he sees the car. A dark sports car weaving in and out of traffic lanes, and he can see that this car is coming fast. Uh, he comes up close to his bumper and he swerves into the next lane and he keeps swerving and he cuts Aaron off. Aaron is frustrated, and, but before long, before he can think about what he's going to do next, the car drives off. And the whole time Aaron is thinking, I hope that guy gets it. He was a young guy, probably a college student. Maybe he had just purchased this car or he had borrowed it from his father or his mother. I don't know. Uh, Aaron didn't know either, but he was a young guy, an arrogant guy, he could tell by the way he was driving and his facial expression. Uh, but Aaron thought that was the end of it. But then, just about a mile down, he sees the car again. Not driving, but on the side of the road because he had gotten into an accident. 
And Aaron thought to himself, good. (laughs) That's what he deserved. You reap what you sow. And some of us might have had that same kind of reaction. I know when I was hearing the story, I said to myself, that's a good story. I hope that happens more often for those of us driving dangerously and putting others in harm's way. The kid wasn't hurt, by the way. He was fine. He was outside uh, pulling his hair out thinking, oh, no, what happened to my car? The car got the, mo- the worst of it. Nobody else was injured either. But that's often what we feel when we think about those stories of getting cut off in traffic. We think that's the way those stories should end. Someone cuts me off, and the Lord in his kindness brings it upon their heads. But the reality is, most of us have stories, whether there are stories about being cut off in traffic or stories about experiencing other hardships when the person doesn't get what they, what they deserve. In fact, open up a newspaper. Watch the news. You know, no matter what side of the aisle you are on politically, you know that people get ahead who are not very godly. They're not righteous. They don't serve the Lord. And yet, if you were to survey their lives, you might think they have it pretty well. They're wealthy, they're in power, they have families that are progressing well, they're growing, they're free from harm. Whatever happened to that whole, you reap what you sow? Whatever happened to that whole, the Lord is opposed to the proud and for the humble? The reality is, is that most of us look out into the world And our belief in God's justice for those who do harm and are unrighteous is contradicted by our experience. It leaves us asking, what good is it being good? Put another way, does it make sense living a righteous, faithful life? What good is there? being good? That's the question that I want us to ask this morning. I want us to consider that question as we come to Psalm 73 that Matt read for us. If you closed your Bible, please open it up again there in Psalm 73. And I want us to consider the words of this psalmist in Psalm 73. You recall what Matt read to us, and this psalm for us should be a kind of reorientation, uh, clarity for those of us who are asking that question, is it any good being good? Because in the first half of the psalm, Asaph is going to sound a lot like us. He's going to affirm what our own experience tells us. And then in the second half of the psalm, he is going to instruct us. He's going to teach us but how we might make sense of what we see and the contradiction between what we believe about God's justice and his call on our life to be faithful in our experience. And so let's consider this psalm together. I won't read it to you again. I'll read the first half in a moment. 
the first truth that comes to us in the first half of this psalm is this. Sometimes what we believe doesn't make sense of what we see. Uh, Look again at the first half of the psalm with me. Verse 1, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Many of you are reading from the ESV. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. They're both great translations, but I just picked up my NIV this morning in case you're wondering. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children, O God. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. If you haven't noticed by the words that the psalmist uses here, this is a deeply personal psalm. The psalmist has felt this emotion. He has felt the pain of believing something to be true and yet seeing with his eyes a contradiction to that very truth. This psalm was written by Asaph, a man of God. Asaph, according to the book of Chronicles, was the director of music for the people of God, and he was a leader of all of the musicians in King David's time. His ministry was so meaningful that the book of Chronicles says that it was describes it as a prophecy through music. Here was a man who knew God. Here was a man who knew the Word of God and was a minister to the people of God, to remind them of the truths of God. And so when we come to the first verse, we ought not be surprised to hear his confession. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Here is the general maxim. Here is the truth that we ought to believe. God is good to his people. He is good to those who are faithful. What surprises us is what this man of God, this prophet through music, says about his own experience after he makes this declaration. It is as if he is saying, I believe this, and yet, listen to what I see. He turns and makes sense of his experiences, and he became envious of the wicked. He began to doubt God and questioned his own moral behavior. What unsettled Asaph so? What made him 
shake in his confession about God's goodness to the faithful? What made him move away from his belief that it is good to be faithful, it is good to make your life after the way of the Lord? It was his experience of the wicked. It was his vision, his view of those who prosper in their wickedness. In his experience, the wicked were healthy with pockets full of money and bellies full of food. Somehow, these arrogant sinners are exempt from the natural human experience of pain and suffering. Everyone else faces trouble, but these people don't. And it's so obvious to anyone who can see. Why is it so obvious? Well, they flaunt their pride. They uh, boast about their violence as if they were the nicest clothes that they could find to wear. Here's another jacket of violence. Here is a beautiful chain of, of pride around my neck. Everything these people do should merit all kinds of divine punishment. And yet, here they are strutting around the earth. Look at how they're described in the text. They are fools. They are scoffers. They are arrogant, even toward God, the maker of heaven and earth. You know your Bibles. Read the book of Proverbs, and you should know that these people aren't supposed to be getting all the victories. And yet here they are, prospering. How do you make sense of such troubling observations? Well, you either, gout, you either doubt God's way or you grow apathetic. Can God not see? Perhaps God cannot or will not respond to such a terrible thing. And if God cannot or will not respond, then what good is it being good? If God doesn't care or is powerless to act, why should we care or work to conduct ourselves justly with integrity? I have a friend who, whose profession has mirrored some of Asaph's observations. This close friend of mine works in marketing. And his professional experience has shown that conducting yourself with integrity in the secular workplace doesn't get you very far in the corporate world. In fact, it often pushes you down. Acting justly with integrity has led to being marginalized, skipped over promotions, and in at least a few occasions, jobless. My friend has often admitted to me that there have been a few times that he has wondered, is God unwilling to honor my love for him? Maybe living rightly isn't worth it here. Now, some of you might say, well, that's maybe his own experience. That's what happens when you work out there in the world. But you've experienced it too. Some of you are students. And perhaps your experience has been one that you want to honor God in your studies. And so though there is a difficult text, uh, test coming, you want to honor the Lord and you will be honest. And even though there's an opportunity to cheat, you say, I will not cheat because this is in service to the Lord. Your friend, on the other hand, doesn't hold those same convictions. They cheat. You receive a C, and they receive an A. He is neither caught, nor are you affirmed for your faithfulness. Your GPA won't change. 
you wonder, what was the point? Or maybe you have finished your school career, and you're at work, and you know that you ought to work as a service unto God. And so what do you do? You honor the Lord. You are humble about your accomplishments. You, you encourage others who are in your space. You, you, you deflect whenever someone says, hey, good job. You say, well, it was a team's work. We all chipped in. And guess what? You don't get the promotion. You don't get the respect from your superiors. And there you are at work wondering whether following the way of the Lord is worth it. We want to believe that God is good to those who are faithful and that he honors our pursuit of holy living, but our experience doesn't always allow us to do so. Sometimes what we believe doesn't make sense of what we see. But the psalmist doesn't end his song there. He also provides instruction. He describes what we might experience, but then he also provides instruction for us. Yes, sometimes our belief doesn't make sense of what we see until we see God. Let me say that again. Sometimes... What we believe doesn't make sense of what we see until we see God. That's what happens in the second half of this psalm. Let's read together, beginning at verse 17. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was bittered, embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast against you, before you. Yet... I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in, you, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. When Asaph entered into the sanctuary of God, he saw everything differently. It was as if he had been reading the page upside down, and the Lord uh, says to Asaph, here, here, hand that over to me, and turns it right side up. He says, let me show you what is happening. When we enter into the presence of God, our vision becomes clearer. We see with eyes that are able to make sense of our experience far more. And notice what Asaph sees. I'm going to do this in a little bit of a different order. Uh, but the first thing that he sees that I want you to notice is that he sees himself in the light of God's mercy. That comes to us in the middle of this section. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. 
Asaph started this psalm by saying about himself, I am pure in heart. I have lived before you, O God, with innocence. I have done it the right way. And then when he comes before God, he enters into God's presence, what does he acknowledge? Lord, I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. When we think about God's justice, when we try and reconcile our experience of God, who he is, who he, how he is good to us who are faithful, we recognize that we are not as faithful as we thought we were. We are not as pure in heart as we had assumed. We ourselves are standing under the mercy of God. Asaph was unsure about the way of the world. He looked at the prideful. He looked at uh, those who were, who were sinful, those wicked people. And then standing before God, he saw himself, his own need for God. And what does he say? Despite this, nevertheless, I am always with you. In other words, you, O oh God, are always by my side. You take me by the right hand, and you're walking with me. The second thing that Asaph discovers when he comes into the place where God dwells, into the sanctuary of the Lord, he sees the way of the wicked. He sees their end. Notice the reversal that takes place in the text. Before, his feet had almost slipped, but now Asaph said, it is their feet that are slipping. And where are they slipping? They're slipping to their decay. The Lord is not blind to the way of the wicked. The Lord is not blind to those who continue in their pride and their arrogance to shake their fist at God and take and take and take without any remorse for their wickedness. God is not blind to those individuals. God sees them. And when Asaph enters into the sanctuary, Asaph discovers that their way, their path, is to destruction. You cast them down to ruin. They are suddenly destroyed. They are like a dream when one awakes. That sudden alertness that you have where you, your heart catches, that is what the wicked are like. The Lord is not asleep. Instead, he will wake them, and they will find themselves in judgment. You despise them, Lord. They are far from you and they will perish. They will be destroyed. That gives us some insight into our own experience as we look into, as we see what we see with the wicked flourishing, prospering, it gives us new insight to discover that this life is not the end. When we enter into the sanctuary of God, we view things in light of eternity. God is just, and he will reckon with those who are unjust. But that raises something else to us. 
It helps us to discover something else about these people because when we see ourselves under the mercy of God and when we see the end of those who are wicked, those who are going to uh, be destroyed, it should do something in us. Instead of celebrating the end of the unjust, when we view our own need for God's mercy, it deals with us, it gives to us a new kind of humility, yes, but also a new kind of urging to go and meet the needs of those who are unbelievers. Those who continue to walk around in pride. Those who are walking in the path of destruction. When we discover their end does not fill us up with pride. It fills us with an urgent need to share with them the truth of God's word. It propels us forward. It reminds us of Jesus' words to his disciples when he was there preaching that sermon on the mount. And he said, you are a city on a hill. You are to be a light to this world. Don't cover that up, but instead let your light shine. Why? So that the world might see your good works and might glorify God as a result. Is that any good being good? Yes, it is. Because God is truly, eternally, for those who are faithful to him. God is for and near those who seek him. But not only is it good for us, it is also necessary to reflect God's goodness in our own actions so that we can reach out to those who do not love him those who do not know him, and testify to them, bear witness to them about where God's heart is, about where their paths will lead. This is the way of the Lord. Not only do we see ourselves in a new light, not only do we see the wicked in a new light, but we also see God himself in a new light. When we enter into the sanctuary, when we enter into the presence of God, all of a sudden we discover God anew. We discover that he is good to us, that he leads us like a child, like his child, and he holds us by the right hand. He guides us with his counsel, and afterward he will receive us in glory. Perhaps we need to hear that again. The Lord guides us and will lead us and receive us in glory. You and I want justice, and rightfully so, but you and I are not innocent. Yet God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up and seated us with him at the right hand of God. He will receive us in glory. When we see God, we see the end of the wicked, and we see ourselves in light of God's mercy, and then we see God. And we discover that while we may not have rewards here on this earth, the blessings that we receive on this earth pale in comparison to the blessing of having God in eternity. That is your treasure, saints. God himself. The Lord says, I will be with you. I am yours and you are mine. 
We look and see the wicked and see all that they have, and we say, I want those things. And the Lord says, what are those things? They're nothing. Here, receive me instead. And it will be to you far more than anything you might be able to have that will perish, that will be stripped away from you, that will slip through your fingers. But here, have me. Is it any good being good? How do we answer that question when we see the way of the wicked and we see all that they do and all of the harm that they cause? Yes. Why? Because God is near to those who are righteous, those who are for him. God is for us, saints. When we enter into the presence of God, all of a sudden we see more clearly. You know, a few months ago, at the start of this academic year, uh, I had to get new glasses. It happened that I, I had my glasses and I had been using them for quite some time. And just as I was getting ready for the school year, just as I was getting ready for my own classes at Baylor, I got some scratches on the lenses. And some of you who wear glasses know that that sort of thing happens all the time. But this scratch was right in the middle of the lens. I just couldn't get away from it. It, it really impaired my vision. So it got to the point where I started just taking my glasses off. <laughs> and that doesn't help you any, right? That makes things worse. And so I was going about my day without glasses, and it would give me headaches. I, would see, uh, I couldn't see anything. And so we went to the glasses store, and we got a new pair of glasses, and changed my vision completely. Even in that short few weeks, I saw things anew. I could see the words on the page in front of me. I could see the books that I was trying to pull from my library. I could see my wife more clearly. I said, wow, you really are beautiful. Uh, that's what this word is for us today. The Lord wants to give us a new pair of glasses to be able to make sense of our experience, to be able to encourage us to see this world as he sees it with eternity in view. Sometimes what we believe doesn't make sense of what we see until we see God. And then we will see all things more clearly we will see ourselves more clearly. We will see those who do not know him more clearly. And we will see our own mission more clearly. We will be propelled to share about this good God. Sometimes our belief doesn't make sense of what we see until we see God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your vision. We thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you might give us insight. Help us to see with your vision according to your word. May we come into your presence and discover who we are, what this world needs. Might we be propelled, God, to be witnesses to your goodness and your gospel. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.